It should have been evident. They had heard of Jesus' miracles and had seen him perform them. He had sent his disciples throughout the land and had given them the power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. When John the Baptist was in prison and had second thoughts about Jesus' identity, Jesus told John's disciples to tell him what they had heard and seen. The blind received sight. The lame walked. The lepers were cleansed. The deaf heard. And the dead were raised up. Everyone knew what Jesus could do. As his reputation grew, the cities were filled with people wanting to be healed or to at least witness the miracles he was performing. When the press of performing miracles cut into his teaching time, Jesus tried to escape into less populated areas, but his reputation preceded him and crowds followed him. When he tried to get away with the disciples, they took a boat across the sea and headed for the hills, but thousands followed along the shoreline. When it became obvious the multitude was hungry, he fed them miraculously. After sending the disciples back by boat, he came to them walking on the water. When invited, he got into the boat with them calmed the waves, and got them safely to shore. When the multitudes he had fed found him back in Capernaum, they said something incredulous. They said, therefore, to him, What then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? That's got to be the stupidest question ever asked. Sadly, it's a question that apparently never gets answered, at least to the satisfaction of most people. When contemplating this scene, I couldn't help but think there is none so blind as he who will not see. When I went to the concordance in the back of my Bible to find the quote, It wasn't there. When I Googled it, I discovered that while it sounds biblical, it's not. Most of us probably picked it up from Ray Stevens' song, Everything is Beautiful. It was first put to print in England in 1548. That's not to say the thought isn't biblical. Something very similar is found in Jeremiah 5.21. Hear this. O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Some people don't see because they don't want to see. Some don't hear because they don't want to hear. You know, how many times did Jesus say, He who has ears, let him hear? Some people don't want to hear the truth, and they don't want to see evidence that supports the truth because they don't want to believe it. If they believe it, they have to act upon it. And believing the truth about Jesus 
demands a life-changing response. Today is Easter Sunday morning, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We who have accepted him as our Savior have done so because we know he conquered death and the grave, and that in doing so made available life even after death. In fact, he alone is the source of eternal life. The resurrection makes that obvious to all who have eyes to see. Sadly, however, the vast majority are still blind to the facts and the implications of the resurrection and who the resurrection proves Jesus to be. But that doesn't surprise us. That has always been the case. After healing a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb and being accused by the Pharisees of being able to do so because he was in league with the ruler of the demons, Jesus pointed out how illogical it was to make such a claim. Rather than argue the point, the scribes and Pharisees simply said, Teacher, we want a sign from you. He gave them the sign of Jonah. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus had just given sight and the ability to speak to a demon-possessed man. You would think that would be sign enough of Jesus' divine authority. But, like the multitude that had been fed, the Pharisees discounted the signs he had performed in their midst. They demanded more. Unlike the former demon-possessed man, they were still blind. They did not want to believe what they had just seen. They didn't even want to consider what the multitude that also witnessed the healing wondered about. This man cannot be the son of David, can he? You know, if Jesus were to be recognized as the son of David, they would have to accept him as their promised savior. And Jesus didn't appear to be the kind of savior they wanted. When Jonah was spat upon the shore after being in the belly of the sea monster for three days and three nights, the men of Nineveh believed the message Jonah delivered and repented. Jesus knew that even after being in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and emerging, the Pharisees wouldn't believe in him. 
And because of their unbelief, they, along with the rest of their evil and adulterous generation, would stand in judgment and be condemned. He would later clarify and clearly state that if someone were to rise from the dead with a message, those who didn't listen to Moses and the prophets wouldn't believe it, even if the message came from Hades. Now, there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed himself in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. And it came about that the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and Likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, I beg you, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, or said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now, whether this was a parable or an actual event, we can't be certain. The scene, however, is cast in Hades, the grave, the spiritual realm of the dead. Apparently, it's a temporary place of comfort or torment before the final judgment. It's not a place where we will be given a second chance after death because there's a great chasm fixed that prevents moving from one place to another. But in spite of Father Abraham's refusal to allow Lazarus to warn the rich man's brothers, we do know some have come from a spiritual place after death with messages for the living. Samuel appeared to King Saul. And Moses and Elijah visited with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, seeking messages from mediums or spiritists, those who attempt to call up the dead, is strictly prohibited. It's detestable to the Lord and opens the door to demonic deception. 
Still, we have been given a message from the account of the rich man and Lazarus. A message from Hades, if you will. And the point Jesus was making, the message we are to hear, is that even if someone were to rise from the dead, some would not be persuaded. Even if someone were to prove they were God or the Son of God by rising from the dead, some would refuse to believe it. That would be true. Even if he told them before he died and was raised that he was going to do so. Something Jesus actually did on at least three occasions. Shortly after feeding the 4,000, reprimanding the disciples for being blind to the significance of what he had done by miraculously feeding the multitude twice, and then asking them straight out who they thought him to be, Peter declared him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was right, of course. But Jesus then told the disciples that they were to tell no one that he was the Christ, at least not them. There were a lot of misconceptions about the kingdom of God and the role of the Messiah, and Jesus didn't want to inflame the situation before arriving in Jerusalem. But he did want to prepare the disciples for what lay ahead. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, Peter didn't respond very well to that announcement. And Jesus reprimanded him harshly by saying, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Peter heard what Jesus had to say. But he didn't like it. The next time it's recorded that Jesus explicitly told the disciples what to expect was shortly after the transfiguration. On the mountain, Peter and James and John heard God say, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. But as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. They were confused about what he meant by rising from the dead. So after they joined the other disciples, Jesus made it as plain as he could. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. They still didn't get it because it didn't fit into the narrative they believed about the coming kingdom of God and rather prepare themselves for what Jesus foretold. They started arguing about who among them was the greatest. So as they started to enter Jerusalem, Jesus clarified it further. Behold. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, 
and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Apparently, they still didn't get it. Because they immediately got caught up in a fight over who should sit where in the kingdom. Jesus was really trying to prepare them for what lay ahead. He was telling them what would happen before it happened. In the upper room, he even told them why he was doing so. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. The he was added by the translators. What Jesus actually said was, I am telling you before it comes to pass, that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. Jesus made it as clear as he could. He was going to be tried, condemned, and crucified in Jerusalem. But on the third day, he would be raised up. You would think they would be ready for it. But when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. When he was being tried, Peter stood at a distance and denied even knowing him. And as he hung on the cross, John was the only disciple standing nearby. They weren't ready for his death. And it would soon become evident that they weren't ready for his resurrection. When Jesus died, the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. For those with eyes to see, and for those who heard about it, it was obvious that access into the presence of God had been ripped open. The hours of darkness that enveloped the land while Jesus was on the cross came to an end. The earth shook, the rocks split, and tombs around Jerusalem were opened when Jesus died. It was enough to cause a centurion who witnessed it all to cry, truly, this was the Son of God. When Jesus arose, many bodies of the saints were raised, and coming out of the tombs, they entered Jerusalem and appeared to many. What a sight! That must have been. And when the women arrived at the tomb on Sunday morning looking for Jesus, the angel told them, He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. The women were told to go quickly and tell his disciples that he had risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene did as instructed. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. The other women reported the same thing to the disciples and to the others who had followed after Jesus. But what they had to say appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe it. When Jesus then appeared on the road to Emmaus, 
and started walking with a couple of sad-looking disciples who didn't recognize him, he asked them what they'd been talking about. They told him about all that had transpired and how they had hoped the one who had been crucified was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? After explaining to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures and their eyes were opened, he vanished from their sight. They arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found those gathered with the eleven, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. They finally got it. And they would eventually so believe it that they willingly gave their lives to make sure we would have a chance to believe it too. Yes, it took a lot to open their eyes. And when they were first told that Jesus' tomb was empty and had even seen it for themselves, John notes, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. The implication is that they went home defeated in unbelief. I pray that will not be true of anyone today. Thomas found it hard to believe what the disciples told him because he wasn't there. But when Jesus again appeared, he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hand. And reach here your hand and put it into my side and 
Be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas responded, My Lord and my God. To him, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. There is no good reason for us not to believe unless we just don't want to. Because we are not willing to surrender our lives to the risen Christ. As he was closing his gospel, John wrote, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I pray that is true for you. If you've not done so, I pray you will surrender your life to the risen Christ. And I invite you to do so now as we stand and sing.